0: Grab your beverages and turn up your interweb, solving the world's problems, 12 ounces at a time, it's Dudes and Beer.
1: Well, hello everybody, Chris Jordan here, host of the Dudes and Beer podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. Does not see, I was just telling my wife earlier before this pre-record, it does not seem like we are already at episode 340 of the Dudes and Beer podcast that, you know, we are right up against the full-on rebrand. Of everything into the curious realm. And it's been absolutely great taking this journey with you guys. I cannot wait for our upcoming rebrand. Uh, it's supposed to be in December. I may have miscalculated. I don't know. I'll have to look at calendars, but, uh, as of this episode with Brad Olson, we are at 340. That makes over three and a half months, over, over 45 days full of programming uh, with you guys. So, um, it's going to be a fantastic episode tonight. I can't wait. Thank you guys as always for tuning in. Uh, we do have Brad Olson on the line. We will be getting into him right after these messages from our sponsors. Before we get into that folks, please do make sure to mind our call to action right now, which until the official launch is to Google curious realm, all you got to do is Google it. You don't have to visit it. You don't have to click on it. You don't have to download anything. Just go to whatever. You can go to DuckDuckGo. You can go to GoHost or Daddy Gator or anywhere you want to go that you go and search things. Just go search Curious Realm because I'm here to tell you, folks, uh, the power of the public and the power of the algorithm is what makes things work. I'll show you right now um where we lie because of all of the hard work of you guys and your families searching curious realm we are now officially at the top of the google search rankings and that is only with a month or so of you guys searching that checking that out so um that is the power of the googs that is the power of those algorithms that we talk so much about on this show regularly. So, thank you guys for leveraging that algorithm and everything else to make sure of the fact that we are able to get to the top before we even launch the show. So, um while you're online checking that out, make sure to stop on by our sponsor True Him Science. True Him Science is your source for the best CBD products that you can find. I'm here to tell you, folks, I have been an anxiety sufferer for years. Uh, I take medications for it daily. Uh, But a few years ago, because of the amount of travel I did, my doctor recommended me to start using CBD daily. That began my search at dispensaries across America. Little did I know that Christopher Lynch, the owner of, of True Hemp Science lives right here in Austin, Texas. This is an Austin, Texas-based company. It's absolutely fantastic. Whole plant medicine is what they are all about. It is a spigeric process, um, old alchemical process. They use the whole plant, full-spectrum root, seeds, bud, every part of the plant. So stop on by, check it out. Truehimscience.com is the website. Dudes7 is the code that you want to use to save 7% off your cart of $50 or more and and get two, count them, two hand-sized edibles of 25 grams or more. So, once again, Truehimscience.com is that website that you want to go to and visit. And uh while you're online checking that out, make sure to stop on by. Join the Dudes and Beer group on Facebook. It is officially now the Curious Realm, formerly Dudes and Beer group uh, because of the rebrand. So that is where we carry on our conversations. That's where we post all of the articles that we talk about in the news of the week, stuff like that. Uh, this week coming to us out of Metro.UK. Life on Mars was destroyed by nuclear attack, says physicist. And we could be Next. Um, coming to us out of phys.org, effective electrons with negative mass and novel semiconductor nanostructures. That's a, you know, and uh, that's a big sentence to swallow folks. But if you think about it, the same tech that we talked about with Jack Sefrotti on the show, uh, that is behind the UAPs, things like that. That's what we're talking about, um, Being able to put things into a state of negative mass where the traditional laws of physics do not apply. Um, out of InceptiveMind.com, engineers create 3D printed objects that can sense user interactions. Out of News Atlas, out of New Atlas, laser beams, uh, lasers beam high speed internet between cities through open air. And out of Yahoo.com, the Petito family says, uh, her boyfriend left Gabby in the wilderness with grizzly bears and wolves while he sits in comfort. Um, that's a wild story and we'll be following that as it develops because it's, it's been interesting. There was a YouTube video released of a police encounter, uh, just before the disappearance that just came out. So, um, we'll be following that when we get back from this last message from our sponsor podcast cadet. We will be welcoming Brad Olson, author of the amazing book, Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet, as well as the Beyond Esoteric series. There's a whole series of books covering these topics. We'll be getting into his recent adventures in Antarctica, uh, the concept of UFOs in Antarctica. Why, why is Antarctica a no-fly zone? All kinds of stuff like that. Uh, with our good guest, Brad Olson, when we get back from this message from Podcast Cadet.
0: Have you considered starting a podcast, looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your
1: brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, podcast cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals in fields ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution monetization and even social media strategies podcast cadet tailors their
0: services to the specific needs of you and your podcast Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience?
1: Sign up for your podcast cadet audit today and let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to
0: whole new levels. From consultational workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything
1: podcast-related on the internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for
0: your consultation or training and use code DUDES20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website again is
1: podcastcadet.com. That's right, folks. Stop on by podcastcadet.com. Uh, full disclosure, I am one of the founders of Podcast Cadet. Whole reason I started that is I love podcasts podcasting. I love it, love it, love it. I come from a world of radio and TV broadcasting and live events, things like that. I love production. And there's there's nothing like trying to start something that is waters so waist deep, you don't know how to wade through it. So that's why we did that, was to be able to help everybody be able to start shows. Stop on by and check it out. While you're online, check out bradolson.com the website of our guest this evening the author and researcher brad olson welcome back to the show how are you today good sir i think he's still there hello
2: I'm here, Christopher. Ha
1: ha. There he is. Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. I know that we were experiencing a little bit of latency earlier, but uh, welcome back to the show. How have you been doing?
2: Hey, Christopher, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on Dudes and Beer. And (laughs) I'm a dude and I like to drink beer. Yeah, absolutely. What a place to land.
1: (laughs) Well, we had a great time chatting with you last time about, uh, your esoteric book series and just, uh, lost knowledge of humanity and how, how this knowledge gets lost. Um, you, you recently had quite an excursion, uh, not only, um, across America, but down to the Antarctic. Let's, kind of start getting into some of the recent research that you've been doing and some of the things that you came across in this journey?
2: Sure. Well, I did spend uh, four months in South America and the boat trip down to Antarctica on a 72-foot sailboat. Pretty uh, gutsy way to go. Yeah, there's a picture in front of a The ice gets blue when it's really compacted and as it gets old. And interesting thing about this picture in the water or ice shelves and collect ice with an ice pick to use for our drinks because this blue does something very peculiar, which was shown to us at the first research station we went to called Artowski and it was run by uh, Poland. And our ship was actually a Polish vessel. And when you put this blue ice into a whiskey glass, old, old and compressed that it has these little air bubbles in it. And so when it melts, it uh, crackles and pops, just like a bowl of Rice Krispies. Wow. So a uh, lot, of, lot of weird little tidbit things like that we discovered down there
1: well which is interesting because that would explain a lot of the uh a lot of the a lot of the sound that you get in the arctic things like that a lot of the um almost low rumblings inside of the ice that kind of stuff
0: that's right
2: Glaciers it... calving which means breaking apart and falling into the ocean You see it first, and then you hear it, and then the waves come. And we had to get our boat situated directly into the oncoming waves because they do create mini tsunamis when these glaciers break apart and fall into the water. So it's good to uh, be prepared and know what you're getting into because on our boat, we had one dinghy and one... Uh, extreme emergency life draft. And if anything were to happen to the ship and we had to all jump into the two boats, it would not be a pleasant experience. Yeah. But fortunately nothing happened apart from uh, some seasickness on the way down. And it was just an incredible adventure.
1: Well, now what was it that brought you to a go explore the, Antarctic region to begin with because uh, that's that's a little bit out of the way. I mean, many people go to Alaska, things like that, um, to go see glaciers and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, what was it that took you down to the Antarctic and w- what was some of the things that were going on at the research facility that you had a chance to visit? Well, we went to
2: six Six different research facilities, one of them being the American Palmer Base, which is actually pretty hard to get into. They don't normally accept visitors to come in, but since myself and two others on my boat were American and were tax paying citizens, they did say yes to us coming aboard. And <laughs> nice. Well, it was really interesting to see all the kind of research that's going on down there. And it's largely revolves around uh, the changing climate in Antarctica. And it is changing down there. Uh, but they're also watching the animals, their behavior, their numbers. Some penguin colonies are actually declining while others are getting larger because there is some warming of the ocean. And just mind you, it only takes one or two degrees warming in the air to have a ripple effect that melts ice, that moves penguin colonies farther south, and does a number of different phenomena to the land, ice, and sea. So I, I do a presentation, and I'll be speaking next in las vegas at the 5d conference and i give a talk called the hidden anomalies of antarctica and i start the talk with a couple of maps of and i show this map that had come out just before my trip down there in 2019 uh, and the cooling areas of the continent and you'd think with all this warming in certain calving glaciers melting ice that our sea levels would be rising but i live right out here on the coast in santa cruz california and then right here on the beach is the boardwalk and there is no signs that the beach is risen or yeah that the boardwalk is threatened in any way But on that NASA map, you see areas where it actually is cooling and the ice is accumulating. So somehow Mother Nature has it in her to balance it out. And so there is no drastic sea level rise. Maybe a millimeter or two, but really nothing too discernible that is uh, disrupting our coastal communities around the world. Because keep in mind, water seeks its own level. So if, if the caps of the antarctic and greenland were to melt and fall into the sea it would be like a glass of water where you put a bunch of ice into it and then it overflows yeah but in this case it is not showing there you go that uh yeah and this is
1: in record
2: heat of this sea ice is melting
1: well yes and that's just it like i've i have held for years for years, Brad, I am, I am no global warming denier. I am no denier of the impact that humanity has on the Earth. However, when you see maps like this, from the NASA Global Observatory for Arctic Sea Ice Snow Mapping, and you see the fact that despite record heat waves across the globe, the Arctic ice is on the rise, not on the melt. That's just weird. And it goes into a whole mm. world of things that are happening, uh, like polar wise. Um Our magnetosphere is thinning. The, the North Pole is moving more rapidly than it ever has since we've been tracking it like almost to the point of like quarter mile a day movement on some days um, it's it's crazy and and even whenever you start uh, looking at massive anomalies that lurk between the ice and Antarctica uh, there there are huge magnetic anomalies going on down there um, all kinds of things there's even in the last year a large rocky structure that is, quote, messing with the ice in Antarctica. So, so many other things that, like you said, it's like the Earth balances itself out.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's a changing landscape both in the Arctic and the Antarctic region. The maps you show of the Arctic, keep in mind, that's all ocean. So Mm. that has a propensity to melt quicker than the ice that's on the land. Nevertheless, what we thought would be the melting Arctic Ocean is now accumulating ice. So it looks like Mother Nature is going into these large swings of record heat, but also record cold. And that was indicative on that NASA map that I show in my presentation of the Antarctic with areas that are actually gaining ice and are colder than average. And then other regions like the Palmer Peninsula, where I went to visit uh, in extreme heating scenarios with a loss of uh, pack ice.
1: In and- now, how long were you down there? How long was your excursion? Uh, how long did you get to study and research while you were there?
2: So it was a twenty-six day trip on a seventy-two foot sail. Four days to get to the first island, uh, King George Island, where the Arktowski base was, but we is notoriously the roughest ocean passing in the world. It is the meeting place of the Atlantic and the Pacific below the Southern tip of South America. And it is also the Southern ocean. You want to win a bar bet? Wow. (laughs) You dudes and beer out there. Yeah. uh, Yeah, there it is. There are five oceans in the world. We just mentioned the Arctic ocean atlantic pacific indian but also the southern ocean which surrounds antarctica and it is distinguished by an upwelling of nutrients and and sea life from the more salty and warmer seas as they converge with the Mm. uh, colder fresher water ocean and there is king george island that was our first stop And then we went down to the Palmer Peninsula there. Over the course of the next 15 days, so we had 15 full days in Antarctica, and approximately where that Doomer Island was, that is where we set sail back to South America, by way of the uh, Cape Horn, which is that... even the islands at the very Southern tip is one of the most notorious sea passages of the world. And there are many sunken ships around there. Of course, Magellan found the Magellan Straits a little over 500 years ago, which separates Terra del Fuego and Southern Patagonia. You can see there, but the very bottom there, where Chile and Argentina meet that, uh, parallel line at the very bottom of the two countries that is the beagle channel and that's where we sailed out from town of Ushuaia which is the southernmost city of the world and about 90 percent of all boat traffic leaves from Ushuaia and that uh crossing took us four days to get to King George Island wow
1: wow that is a, that is a In massive time, crossing
2: got terribly sick too
1: Oh, I can imagine the seas there would be absolutely horrifying.
2: (laughs) That was the hardest part of the whole trip was just getting down there. Uh, You take Dramamine for seasickness. We took it a little too late. You're supposed to start it a day or two before. And so when you're already getting seasick, you can't take Dramamine and hope that it does anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) But by the time we went back, we had already gotten our sea legs on and took the Dramamine on time and did not get seasick again. But the sea... And we actually got hit by some big waves. It was quite terrifying to think that the boat could be damaged. Uh, We never took on any water, which is a telltale sign that you can probably keep riding through it. But we did lose some gear, including one emergency dinghy, and it did uh, wreck the navigational equipment on the top deck. So we took uh, some hits going down there. And, yeah, 10 out of 14 of us got violently ill with seasickness to the point where I myself, I couldn't even leave my bunk for two days. It was that bad. But, hey, we got there, and we got ashore, and uh, Polish base, we brought them fresh fruit and vegetables. They, in turn, invited us in for dinner, uh, could take a shower, which, boy, was that the best shower of my life, (laughs) after uh, throwing (laughs) up and not bathing for four days. You can imagine how you'd feel. Yeah. (laughs) And then... uh, They took us on some tours of the island, the facility, what kind of work they were doing. They were observing a penguin colony that had three species of penguins. And we had some meals with them and shared some drinks. And they were the ones that showed us how to uh, collect the blue ice to put in your drinks and the popping. So they were great, the Polish uh, Arktowski people. But then we left and we carried on and we went to several other research stations run by the uh, uh, Argentinians, the Chileans. We went to a British station, which has been converted into a museum. And we went to the uh, Ukrainian base, which is another British base that they sold to them for one British pound. Otherwise, you have to wow. completely dismantle your base and get rid of it. But the U- Ukrainians wanted to move in, so they started the Vernansky base with the southernmost bar in the world. In that base, it's the Faraday bar. Then we had a really fun night having a uh, dancing and drinking with them. They distilled their own vodka, and uh, boy, was that fun!
1: I bet Every that's easier than trying to get it across a four-day on our ship
2: boat. And we also went, yeah, so we all had our bunks on the boats. So we would just, uh... during the midnight sun, that was another really cool thing, is the days were very, very long in the Antarctic summer down there. So we could uh, still see twilight at midnight. And although we had already passed the summer solstice down there, the days were still quite long, about 20 hours of daylight, but two hours of twilight in between, so really about 16 hours of solid sunlight, although it was cloudy almost every day we were down there. Uh, Some days were warm enough, though. Two days, middle of the day, it was warm enough and sunny enough to even jump in the water. We did the polar plunge and came out and just dried off in the sun and even sat on the deck of the boat with our uh, T-shirt and swimsuits on. So there's a bit of a misconception that it's always super freezing cold down there. It was, for the most part, real cold. And you could see the, the clothes I'm wearing is my general uh, outfit. Just like we say in San Francisco, you always wear layers and layers in the summer because it's quite cold with the uh, fog. Here, too, you just wear layers and you, you keep your head warm. As they say in scuba diving, you lose most of your body heat through your head. So to mm. wear a hat and a yep. hoodie... And uh, stay semi waterproof to be up on deck where there was ocean spray was pretty critical.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, even even just uh, like you're saying, learning what it takes to get by day by day down there and, and do a day of research or do a day of anything is is a world different.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's harder uh, to get around than you think, but I'll tell you this. There is another misconception about Antarctica that the whole continent is shut down, and you're not allowed to <clears throat> go outside whatever the cruise ship itinerary is. We were on a sailboat with our own dinghy, and we could pretty Oh. If we wanted to take a side trip over to a penguin colony, completely unsupervised, it would just be uh do that just in the same way that we could go ashore to any uh, research station. But you generally call ashore, and the funny thing is, each one of them had a gift store, so they really wanted to sell us all their swag, which is very inflated. <laughs> I did buy a bunch of stuff at the Palmer base but it was kind of funny to uh to see their gift stores <laughs> within the bases that but they're doing hilarious. some very solid research down there as I said studying the animals their migration patterns their numbers yeah and and the uh, this particular region's warming trends including shrinking pack ice on the land and the glacier flows in the water
1: hmm interesting you know and just speaking of anomalies stuff like that like we were a minute ago let's start getting into anomalies of antarctica things like that uh cases of ufos um more mysterious things going on with antarctica
2: sure sure and you know that was the whole reason i wanted to go down there, not only to to see the seventh continent of the world, which I've now been to all seven, but to look into some of the I do get to the bottom of it. So everywhere I went from the Ushuaia Yacht Club for sailors and captains all, all the research stations, my questioning was very much the same. was do you know anything about what might be large craft under the ice. Pretty much everybody said no. Uh, Pyramids poking through, anti-diluvian civilization, such as Atlantis might be under the ice, to giants or perhaps uh, mega flora or fauna from this supposed uh, inner earth type of environment. Nobody really knew anything about that. We did get some pretty good, it was an Argentinian base called Brown, and they had a sister base uh, on the mainland of Antarctica, which is known as uh, East Antarctica. And that is the really, really old continental landmass. That's over 3 billion years old. Oh, wow. And some of the traces of ancient rainforests in Antarctica also connect to the Africa, Australia where it broke off uh, many hundreds of millions Mm. of years ago and moved down to its present position replete with these fossil records in the rocks. So it's absolutely certain that Antarctica had once been a steamy jungle at one point. And there you go with the slide you're showing, how it broke off from the other mm-hmm. continental land masses, whereas Western Antarctica, what you see is that sinuous S-shaped landmass is that the Zealandia is on one side, and then uh, West Antarctica is the other, and that's very young. That's why the, the mountains are very dramatic in West Antarctica, along the Palmer Peninsula, because it's only uh, 700 million years old, compared to the 3 billion-plus years of East Antarctica. So we were talking to a base, uh, and they really didn't want to tell us. Stations called the Belgrano 2 base in East Antarctica had seen UFO or orbs and it was sort of interdepartmental banter among the different personnel on the bases that had percolated through to us so that was pretty interesting that there had been a sighting over in East Antarctica very close to the new Schwabenland and Argentina has a base there along with several other countries including Germany is still in New Schwaben although now it's called Queen Maud land, but it's basically directly south of South Africa on the Antarctica, Belgrano two base. (laughs) And that's really interesting because I was poring over maps before my trip and I came across National Geographic and several other maps during the cold war era so mm. between uh, the late 1940s and the late 1980s and what it showed was west germany kept their bases right there in the same region of New schwabenland that was claimed by nazi germany in the late 1930s yeah so they really they never left and it's a pretty good chance that they found something there not only an underground network base because yep continent and the world 91 known volcanoes uh and probably a lot of activity under the ice the germans found that were able to access it with their u-boats yeah there's your new schwabenland claim that uh it's pretty good chance that hitler did not die at the end of the war may have gone down here to the new Shangri-La by Admiral Dolitz in 1943 that they had found and created an impregnable fortress, not that they were going to or that they wanted to, but they had already established it by 1943. And yeah. it's a pretty good chance this is where all of the really high-tech stuff went to after the war as well.
1: And uh, yeah, that is, that has been held for a long time. And of course, that was the whole, the whole reason for Admiral Byrd's, uh, famed trip to Antarctica was to follow up on things like that. Uh, and I, I always found it interesting that. Yeah, that's right. It was called Operation High Jump. Yeah. And I always found it interesting that they never denied that Operation High Jump happened. They definitely told Admiral Byrd not to tell anybody about his findings. And and even part of, the, of that whole Operation High but Jump was, oh yeah, absolutely. And, and part of that whole Operation High Jump was, of course, the, the finding of the hollow earth, the finding of the civilization uh, inside of what is now a, a quote, no-fly zone over Antarctica.
2: That's correct. It's not the whole continent that's a no-fly zone, but a very specific area around the South Pole. and It does cover about vast distance, but it's not the entire continent. In fact, you can still land a plane at the Amundsen-Scott Research Station at the South Pole, which is run by the... ...away is that no-fly zone, and that is the presumed... Entrance into this uh, inner earth. And several other whistleblowers, including Brian S., who spoke to Linda Moulton Howe, have described in detail that it is a gaping hole in the ice. Now, keep in mind where the South Pole is, that's up on what's known as the Polar Plateau. And that is over two miles thick in ice. And it really makes Antarctica the highest elevation continent of the world because almost all of East Antarctica is covered with two miles of ice. So this gaping hole goes through the ice up on the polar plateau. Now, it could just be that it goes down into a volcano area that has melted it and collapsed the the surface, which would be pretty darn interesting to study, but you can't get any reliable scientific information about this. Search for it. You won't find it. What you'll find are very intentionally covered white squares that aren't even, they didn't even make an effort to try to blend it or use the, oh, no, no, no. the, the tool that allows you in Photoshop to blend in the the surrounding little, land they'll just bam plop down a big white square over these areas we we are pretty sure we know where it is not only that christopher you'll find this interesting but my colleague brooks agnew has found the northern entrance another hole so it's sort of like the earth is a giant torus with an in hole and an out hole or a southern pole hole as you show here with the inner earth and a northern entrance and within uh 20 miles or so we have the gps coordinates for both but Mm. of course you can't find that on any uh satellite info either that is very much uh made unavailable
1: oh yeah yeah absolutely and and even you know once again the fact that uh the north pole is drifting insanely right now um let me let me see. I'll Google it right now. The North Pole drift, um, because the the rate at so what, which... what you're talking
2: about is the magnetic pole. Yeah, that's right. The
1: yeah, magnetic. and uh, I magnetic mean, magnetic
2: North Pole is is moving very quickly across the Arctic Ocean towards Siberia. Similarly, yeah. the Southern magnetic pole is now off of the continent of South America. Yeah. So every ship's coordinates, every compass in the world will point to these magnetic poles. So if you were in the South Pole, for example, and you used a compass, it would point you uh, over a 1,000 miles away yeah. to where the magnetic pole is.
1: Yeah, and, I mean...
2: Yeah, it's moving very quickly, and this is also somewhat um, alarming to scientists Well, in the portents for a polar shift or some kind of incident where the uh the planet readjusts itself to these magnetic poles
1: oh absolutely and there and that's no theory like that is absolute fact when you go back and look at magnetite and lava flows you know like it whenever the lava cools the magnetite inside of it fixes itself to magnetic north And they're they're absolute full on cycles shown of the regular polar flip between North and South Pole, where North Pole just flips to the other side of the globe, and then comes back. And we are we are far far overdue for that scheduled flip. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, especially whenever you're talking about the accelerated solar cycle, things like that, Brad. I'm 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 not you know granted the. The whole book um, Geostorm years ago uh, that came out um, that Art Bell helped write Um, got into it a lot. But even if you look at the image that I have up on screen right now, folks, of the Earth's magnetic field, don't forget that our polar field is what protects us against cosmic background radiation. It's what protects us against solar mass ejection. It's what protects us against all of that. So when you're talking about magnetic anomalies in the pole, magnetic anomalies so big that they are affecting ice and ice melt and ice flow and and actively causing magnetic anomaly projects to happen, <laughs> like, here's the scientific committee on Antarctic research talking about the Antarctic Digital Magnetic Anomaly Project. Um, So much so is this a problem that there are entire projects dedicated to trying to figure out what's going on. Um, You want to talk about the real issue. It's going to be what happens to us cosmically from the weakening of our electromagnetic field. Not to mention what's going to happen geologically come time for that field to flip.
2: Well, that's right. And if there were ever a pole shift or those poles to then realign with the geographic poles, which is where the south pole and the north pole are, Mm -hmm. and that is the axis in which our planet rotates, but if they were to shift say that 45 degrees uh, it would be cataclysms everywhere on earth it would be the largest uh, tsunamis earthquakes triggered from the oceans and keep in mind we essentially live on an ocean planet Yep. it is seven tenths covered in ocean so if these poles were to shift and trigger massive earthquakes the oceans would become uh, very dangerous to be around within hundreds of miles of the coastline. Oh yeah. And it would create what's known as slosh. And that slosh would just, would just go right over the entire state of Florida, for example. And it would also, um, trigger 400, 200 mile an hour winds that would basically collapse every structure on the planet. Unless it was reinforced concrete. So even if you survived, say, in a bunker somewhere, boy, the world you would come out to would be drastically changed.
1: It would in almost... Civilization as we know it would come to a screeching halt. You know, it would almost be Kevin Costner's Waterworld, uh, which has been a prediction of many it people. It would be Waterworld, yeah, that's right. You know, like, you would you would be talking oh. about... Well, surviving on the water,
2: <laughs>
1: have fun. It'd be hard. It'd be tough.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it would
1: be tough. There would be a there we, would be a few native cultures that already have that down. You know, um, and they'd probably be all right.
2: We thought crossing the Drake Passage was rough sailing. Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> with. Uh... <laughs> New continents rising and falling, too. That's the other thing. Not only all all kind of volcanic activity around the world would trigger, but you'd have low-lying areas that would sink and then uh, perhaps new continents rising up. And there are many maps of people who have seen the future uh, landscape of the planet. It's quite different than what we see. Uh, For the most part, the continents do remain. But some parts of them shrink, some parts of them gain size, and then out in the Pacific, a new landmass rises. Mm. And this is also called the Navy map. I work with uh, Michael Jaco, friend of mine, and we were up at uh, Mount Shasta Summer Conference a couple weeks ago, and I asked him, he is a former Navy SEAL, if he saw the Navy map, and that's what it's called, and it was scenarios after a pole shift. He said he saw it personally with his own eyes. And they talked about earth changes and right now there's a whole bunch of navy seal guys who are moving to the Ozark region for this very reason cuz they th- that one of these great pole shift events could occur and the Ozarks is the the landmass farthest away there's a Yeah, there it is, and they're all going to escape to their underground bunkers and stuff because they oh, yeah. think the Earth is going to go through some great changes, and here we go. This is the map from uh, Gordon Michael Scalion. There's another continent that'll arise on the Atlantic side, and boy, uh doesn't fare unless I get myself up to the Sierra Nevada mountains.
1: Yeah.
2: It's yeah. looking pretty uh, water world out
0: here.
1: People- People ask me why I don't want to leave Texas regularly, Brad. <laughs> yeah, take, take another quick look okay, at that so map. I really know why, Christopher. <laughs> but there's there's another good reason. I mean, despite uh, all those.
2: right on the coast.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, coastal Texas. I'm I'm up here in the hill country, pretty close to the dead center, so I'm all right. Um but I ain't leaving for a, for a quick minute because, yeah, yep. there's, there's a lot of good reasons to live here. And that's one big reason. I mean, even whenever you look at the map of, like, super volcanic fallout, you know, um, if you were talking about something along the, yep. along the lines of Yellowstone or something like that, of the caldera collapsing or, or going super volcanic. Texas is still fairly safe in most of it. Um, so, yeah, there's a, thinking about those kind of things. Uh, it's it's funny to me how people consider that, like, quote, doomsday prepping. And it's like, you know, I don't know, man. That's a pretty regular clock schedule, like geologically and and extinction wise. And we've dodged a lot of bullets.
2: yes we have well i'm glad you're thinking of that because out here in california they always tell us to be prepared for an earthquake yeah i was out here in the 89 quake the lower Prieta quake it's quite frightening to feel the earth uh treat us like a tick on the back of a dog basically and shaking us off yeah that was a small one compared to what something that could create a new map would create. And you notice in this, uh, map, a uh, splits and the continent actually cuts into two and the great lakes drain yep. out through the Mississippi. There was, uh, so one of, one of the guys who claims he was on the Philadelphia experiment, Al Bielik, they, tore a a hole in space and time. And him and his brother, Duncan Cameron were the two that jumped off the boat. Oh, wow. And both of them actually went into the future. Yeah. They went into the future about a hundred some years ahead of us right now. And this is exactly what they saw. And they saw that great gap, the Mississippi river, uh, hundreds of miles wide. And they said at that point, they were just celebrating building the first bridge over that massive uh, new Mississippi River Valley. Wow. And that was like the big achievement 120 years in our future. So this occurs. At least that portion of America does split and the Great Lakes drain through and then the ocean water comes rushing back in and North America actually becomes too, But Boy, look what happens to the West Coast.
1: Oh, yeah. Not yeah. so good for us oh, out well, here. <laughs> and anytime time I see maps like this, what immediately comes to my head, I guess, is, you know, kid born in 75, a child of the 80s. Lex Luthor immediately pops into my head like oceanfront property. That's what my, my dad said. You know what? He's never making more of <laughs> land. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna blow up a, blow up a nuclear bomb right here on San Andreas and turn all of Utah into, into oceanfront property. <laughs> and when you look at it, yeah, and California
2: I mean, would just be a straight island. Yeah. It's, it's like, badass. well, you
1: know, a little bit further than that, but yeah, pretty much. Uh, you could be, you, if you're out there buying like upper New Mexico property or, property in colorado like you could be looking at oceanfront property in a few years folks um it's not a bad investment to think about that way you know <laughs> i got a, i got a 30-year plan to start a resort after the end of the world starts right here <laughs> So,
2: um, but can you imagine how much debris would be floating in our our oceans? (laughs) I know,
1: right? (laughs) We would have much worse problems than plastic straws and turtles. Uh, That's true. Let's just say that. (laughs) There would be many, many more reasons why the oceans might not be fishable. Um, And, you know, Going, hopping back in the way back machine just for a minute, Brad, let's get, let's get back onto the topic of, like you were saying, what, what brought you out to Antarctica, which, which was the history of sightings, anomalies, uh, things like the German base, uh, that was out there that obviously we, we had expeditions to go find, things like that. Um, what, what other anomalies were you out there to research? What other anomalies did you come across while you were there?
2: We have to understand Antarctica is a very large continent. It's the fifth largest continent in the world. About twice the size of Australia and bigger than Europe. So the distances are quite vast. So to go to to the New land region, for example, that has to be another trip. It just would have been impossible for us in our sailboat to go the thousand miles or so to get to East Antarctica. So we are pretty much confined to the northern tip of the Palmer Peninsula, as well as several of the islands. And believe me, it was dramatic. It was beautiful. The wildlife, the scenery was nothing like I've ever seen anywhere else in the world. Indeed, Antarctica is a frozen continent, and it felt very otherworldly in and of itself. But um right now, for example, of all the skeleton crews at the bases, because tourism won't start again until uh November, if the, the continents... <laughs> Uh, countries open up to travel again. Last year, they did not. There were no trips to Antarctica. That's about it. So right now, they're still quite, yeah, there's only a thousand people on the entire continent of Antarctica. Wow. So here are these stories of overpopulation. Well, not there, but of course, it's very, very difficult to survive some of the worst and coldest temperatures recorded were storms, uh, windstorms, that would kill you within an hour if you didn't have shelter. So it's very, very difficult to exist there. And that's why no humans ever did live there, uh, at least in the period when it's been frozen. Interesting. It would be hard to eke out a living. Everything you need has to be brought in. There are no trees. There are no bushes. Yeah. There's just tiny little spring it bugs are the only land species that can survive there. Now, the oceans, it's a different story. The ocean uh, sailing alongside our trip with another vessel that was doing scuba diving trips. And they invited us onto their boat one night and showed us all the footage and photos they had taken under water and i'll tell you christopher it was spectacular i'm a scuba diver myself been to the great barrier reef the red sea many of the best scuba dive sites Mm. in the world caribbean and this is right up there with what i've seen as colorful and beautiful and abundant wildlife and Very colorful. Whatever kind of life lives on the seafloor of Antarctica is quite dramatic, as well as different kind of fish and spider-like creatures that live down there. It's quite alive. Um, Wow. And it was a great experience to see that from the scuba divers.
1: And when you were... were
2: also. Doing uh, wreck dives and under the uh, shelf of ice, which is pretty cool.
1: Oh wow, wow! I, I can't imagine diving under a shelf of ice. Um, that would be pretty. That would yeah. be pretty terrifying. Not
2: for uh,
1: <laughs> not for the faint of heart, precisely. Uh,
2: not for anyone that's claustrophobic, that's for sure.
1: Well, and uh, you know, uh, just like we were saying a minute ago, the fact that there are large anomalies underneath the ice in Antarctica, everything from rock anomalies that they have not found or figured out. Like you said that they're read. There have of course been the claims from, uh, from Google researchers out there about the uh, pyramid in Antarctica. Um, what, what do you make of all of those? Well,
2: I looked into all those and I can't, dismiss just that it's so difficult to get to some of these locations and i do know where s pyramid located the shadow it casts looks very symmetrical that's in the shackleton range between west antarctica and east antarctica i could tell you where i think the best example of the uh, a ship under the ice might be, and that is in the New Schwabenland claim at the Conan base. Uh, I could tell you where the hole in the ice is. So there are things that I n- go there myself because the distances, as I said, are so vast. Yeah, it's very expensive to travel there because yeah, bring everything you need. Any plane that's flying in has to have all the fuel it's going to need for the entire trip. Of course, there's nowhere to really refuel. Maybe McMurdo, but that's on the other side of the continent. So it's uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, there are the pyramids. I know where those are located. And I talked to a travel expert, and they do do trips down there. You can customize a trip. And I asked them about these pyramids, the one in the Shackleton Range. And he says, oh yeah, we fly over that one. I said, well, what do you think it is? he says, oh, well, we call it a nun attack. And that is just the name popping through the ice. And I said, well, have you ever uh, landed there? You ever take a... No, we just fly over it. So I think the, the jury's really still out On those pyramids. There you are. There's the one. Yeah. Um, And and there's the location right there in East Antarctica, uh, pretty close to going towards West Antarctica. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd love to go there. Uh, It's certainly on my list of sites I'd like to go back and see. I'd only go down really with a film crew. And my preference would be to go to the New Schwabenland, region and try to find base 211 the New Berlin base and I could pretty well pinpoint where that location is too and including I put it in my book Beyond Mm Esoteric I actually reprint maps of Nazi Germany's uh, map of New Schwabenland on page 264 on the lower part of the page there is the German map above it is the U-boats going under the ice to their New Berlin base where they think they discovered uh, perhaps geothermal vents that could give uh, them free energy, warming under the ice, and the utility of of having warm water and perhaps even an equitable climate in one of these cavities that's created under the ice
1: yeah because it, it it's interesting the way that ice works like that it can both be an insulator as as well as something that makes it colder uh it can be cold on the outside warm on the inside and not melt uh it's really peculiar there were there were even plans uh in world war 2 uh drawn up by the navy like Ready to go plans to build aircraft carriers out of ice, and and to use them as a means of like a navy ship where you just go out, cut it out of cut it out of a glacier, put a motor on the back, and truck anything that you want to wherever you need to. Uh, pretty pretty wild, interesting plans, um, but yeah. To, I mean, you know, native peoples have been making igloos, things like that for years and living inside of them uh, for extended periods of time. So, yeah, to think that the Nazis, the engineers that they were, would be unable to exploit such a geologic formation is just silly.
2: It is. And I'll tell you, Christopher. the first thing we saw crossing the Drake Passage were massive icebergs, some of them the size of a 30-story building, but flat on top. So I know what you're talking about. You could mm-hmm. use some of these icebergs to land a plane on, to oh, yeah. uh, perhaps even put a temporary base. Now, when those icebergs do travel to the north, they eventually do melt, and you'd have to get off of there. But... uh in the meantime, uh, boy, there are massive, massive icebergs that calve off and break in the Antarctic summer down there.
1: Yeah, there you go. Project Habakkuk. That was that was one of them uh, by the British uh, to turn icebergs into into plane, into carriers and uh, ships. So. Uh, Absolute technology that's there, things that actually happened, folks. Um, it's, it's no theory to say that, or even hypothesis to say that the Nazis went to Antarctica. We fully know that they went to Antarctica. Uh, we had Antarctic missions and, you know, like you were saying earlier, those no fly zones that are there, um, are, are completely unhidden. Like it's it's strange whenever you look at the maps where it's just a swath of white put over the ice, you know, stuff like that. Um, Before we let you go here in just a few minutes, uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit more real quick about, uh, I guess, why cover anything up? Something so remote, something so far away. Why why the obfuscation, Brad, as a researcher, why why would. Why would somebody want to cover up something so far away why would you even why would you without the infrastructure there and i guess that's even more of a curiosity is is there infrastructure there because if not how how are they so well sustained for so long
2: that's a great question i would say it's similar to why do they cover up ufos so comprehensively and the answer is because what would be revealed under the eye if we were to look at google earth for example and see this gaping hole and even a road driving is underneath that admiral bird said was big enough of a hole that he felt confident to fly his plane into it yeah yeah and so this is like UFOs. It would change history as we know it. And I think they, they just are tactic that the powers that be or the, the generals or whoever it is that's making these decisions to keep things top secret are just saying, well, not on our watch. We're not going to tell the public because it would be very earth-changing revelations if they were. So... For the same reason that UFOs are kept covered up, so is some of what's going on down in Antarctica.
1: Interesting. And yeah, you know, whenever you start going and looking at, you know, images of Antarctica from Google Earth, stuff like that, you you find so many anomalies, so many weird things um, yeah. that are just there. Uh, uh, what looks to be entire yeah. ships all kinds of stuff. So uh, like the the anomalies are definitely abounding in that area and it's definitely an area that we have yet to fully explore. Um, we've only been able to explore it since, the, well, I guess the modern age of man. I'm sure that you know other native explorers came across it, things like That's like trying to say that Vikings didn't make it to America. Again and again and again, you know, Um, uh, it's it's kind of like whenever we have uh, Stephen Myers on talking about the Pharaoh's pump and the idea of uh, building the pyramids via a lock system like, man, that just makes a whole lot more logical sense since they were already barging the materials down the Nile by that distance to begin with. Why? Why stop short by half a mile? You know. Yeah. <laughs> why not just flood yeah, the half? Mi- why not just flood the half mile plane? A minute ago,
2: there are some that <laughs> do make it out. There are some that are very profound, and I mm. present them in my uh, PowerPoint presentation. But the big ones, I think the really important ones, the craft under the ice or the gaping hole near South Pole. Those ones. That is an issue of national security and it's known that the NSA remember until the 1980s, it was called the no such Agency" mm-hmm. because it was completely denied that it even existed. Yep. Well, the NSA is tasked with any extraterrestrial. Uh, it, you could even say that's why that agency was formed and they're down in Antarctica. They have a building and McMurdo, that nobody's been into, nobody knows what it is, there's no signs or description, it's always locked up, but it's known that this is where the building in the largest base in Antarctica. They're also known to be up at South Pole quite a bit. So what are they doing there? Well, maybe they're making sure nobody goes into that big hole uh, 10 or 20 miles away. Yeah, but that's where Prince Harry went when he cross-country skied from South Pole to one degree to the eighty-ninth uh, parallel for about a week. He went cross-country skiing. I think he went to see the hole. Maybe even went down in it with some of his army buddies.
1: Wow, wow, interesting. Yeah, and and you know it's it yeah been that interesting was at the there. period
2: of time when all the elites were going down there.
1: Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, it's been really interesting to see his path as of late, to see him, uh, advocate to leave and to see all the fallout that is happening amongst is the man? royal family. Um, so, you know, uh, thank you so much for coming on thank you so much for another great fantastic conversation about things like hollow earth possibly uh being there in antarctica possible ufos pyramids all kinds of anomalies it's it's once again brad strange to me how people i guess it's not really strange it's more sad to me how people get so caught up in what is going on around them that they tend to forget the lesson of history they tend to forget the things that we've learned throughout history and even the process of science you know and and to see the fact that there are massive gravitational anomalies magic massive magnetic anomalies uh magic geologic anomalies going on in antarctica um, that are changing ice, that are changing the planet, um, everything else. Um, so despite the heat wave, despite all of that, you know, it's, it's massively odd to see that and to see what's going on. So, um, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time. Thank you so much for doing all the work that you do and uh all of the research that you do tell our audience real quick before we let you go where they can go to buy the books where they can go to follow your work where they can go to keep up with research um you were saying that you were at the uh upcoming was a d5 or c5 is it the c5 conference
2: 5d event in las vegas Five D 5D, It's 5DEvents.com, and that'll be the four days, first weekend of November of this year. That'll be my next live conference. Uh, you have bradolson.com on the screen. If you want to know more about me, that's a good place to start. And you can also go to cccpublishing.com. That's my um, publishing website to read about my books. Here's the catalog of uh, other authors that we publish at CCC Publishing and just basically uh, can contact me through one of these sites if you'd like to. And, yeah, thank you for having me on, Christopher. It's always great to be on with dudes and beers. And we'll we'll have, have to do it again when you guys rebrand yourself.
1: Well, I was going to say, we will definitely be having you on again and again and again as Curious Realm. I cannot wait. Like I was telling my wife before I came in to record this, it was like, wow, I'm going in to do 340. Like, that really happened quick. Like, 350 is right around the corner. Um, So... Uh, so glad to have picked you up as a guest. So glad to always have you on and to follow you on social media. See all your amazing exploits and research going on out there. Uh Please do hold the line real quick, Brad, while we close things out with our audience. While you are online, checking everything out from Brad Olson, make sure to stop on by Amazon. Check out his books. Make sure to stop on by the Dudes and Beer store. That's where you can buy everything as well. Also, CuriousRealm.com. That is a page-for-page transfer of Dudes and Beer, everything except episodes. So stop on by and check that out. Until next time, everybody, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, if you can't be good, be good at it. We'll talk to you
0: soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dudes and Beer Podcast. To listen to our audio streams or chat with us live, download the official Dudes and Beer app for Android and iDevices available on Google Play and iTunes markets. For more episodes, content, and information, visit us online at dudesandbeer.com. You can also find our episodes on Breach.tv, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. Dudes and Beer is a proud member of the HC Universal Network family of podcasts. For more about our sponsors and other podcasts on this network, visit hcuniversalnetwork.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, drink responsibly.